Hello, America. Welcome to Orleo Nation. I am the Chief Mark Garrett. A quick update to the show you're about to see with my great guest, Bill Bodner, coming up here. As many of you know, Fannie Willis admitted to having a relationship with the man she appointed as special prosecutor to prosecute Donald Trump. Let me read quick uh, to you from a business insider. Fannie Willis, the Fulton County DA, uh, prosecuting former President Trump and ATM's allies over 2020 election interference, admitted to having a relationship with the man she appointed to special prosecutor in the case. Let me tell you something real quick. This was her boyfriend who she appointed. If my wife and I, obviously, already married, if I were a prosecutor, there's no way in this world that I would actually hire my wife to get paid from my office to prosecute a case because just the appearances of conflict of interest, of a lack of integrity are so overwhelming, I wouldn't even think of that. Someone who's already my wife, let alone someone who you're having an affair with. Now, let me quote Nathan Ways, your boyfriend in this case, real quick. The DA and I are both financially independent professionals. Expenses for personal travel were roughly divided equally between us, he wrote. At times, I have made and purchased travel for D.A. Willis and myself from my personal funds. This is absolutely unbelievable. And again, the allegations of this relationship came out weeks ago, and both of these people were mum about it. And yes, you'll see in the show coming up here with Bill Bodner, I talked about this. If you're accused of something like this and you keep your mouth shut about it completely and even don't say, these are ridiculous allegations. You know the allegations are true. Finally, before we get started with the great show coming up. Meanwhile, legal expert and former federal prosecutor Nima Ramani told Business Insider the relationship is a, quote, terrible look and a potential ethic violations, unquote, for Willis. You think so? Ramani said that Willis and Nathan Wage probably stepped down from the case due to the optics and have career prosecutors take over. Well, that's at the very best. Between you and me, I think the case is a dead duck. In addition to that obvious conflict of interest, a video recording just broke from a former employee of Fannie Willis in the DA's office. And that audio clearly indicates that Fannie Willis was misappropriating, allowing the misappropriation of federal grant money. Here, listen. Take, take a listen to, uh, to this tape yourself and see what you think. If you had to give me a sentence, what is the sentence theme? Once I told him about his respectfully and in an email about his lack of leadership and the fact that he wanted to do things with grants that were impossible. And I kept telling him, like, we can't do that and questioning stuff. He would take me off projects, tell people I wasn't doing what I was supposed to because I questioned him. Because I understood, I helped write that grant. I knew what was in that grant. He told everybody in front of Crystal, Deontay, everybody, we're gonna get MacBooks, we're gonna do that, we're gonna get swag, we're gonna use it for travel. I said, you cannot do that. It's a very, very specific grant. Took me off. I questioned Junior DA. There's kids in there from out of the, the um the county, all this. Took me off junior DA. I did not want to do it. He made it look as if I wasn't doing what I needed to do because I questioned him. Because so, I knew for a fact Mr. Cutsey respectfully did not know what he was doing. So, period. So I respect that is your assessment. Um, 
it was clear to me that you and Mr. Cuffey were not getting along. And I'm not saying that your assessment is wrong. I want you to really listen to the words I'm saying. Cuffey, and this is my personal opinion to one woman to another, is dangerous to your administration. He tells people, when I reached out to you, he told me, oh, um, you think your word is safe? Um, exactly when you reached out to Miss uh, Willis, she called me and told me, she tell me everything. So once you reach out to her, she's going to reach up back out to me. So I didn't even go to HR because okay, he put Dexter's something? name on my PDP and I didn't even feel safe going to anybody. Can I tell you something? Mm -hmm. I have three supervisors that have failed in this building. What's interesting to me, because I'm in a learning curve too, they each pretend to have a relationship with me that they do not have. I guess that's an intimidation tactic. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that you felt that way, but you, Dexter certainly don't have no relationship with uh, right. Michael Cuffey. You were safe to go those places. To me, that says it all right there. In addition to that, subsequently, Fonnie Willis fired that whistleblower. I tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, the fingerprints of corruption are all over, all over Fonnie Willis's DA's administration. So take a look, to, listen to the full episode coming up with Bill Bonner and me, and, and uh, we look forward to seeing you here next time on Your Leo Nation. Take a look, take a listen. Hello, America. Welcome to Your Leo Nation. I am the Chief Mark Garrett. We at Your Leo Nation. We support and believe in the rule of law, and man, are we slipping as a nation when it comes to that topic and that principle. Joining us today is our great friend, Bill Bodner, retired DEA SAC, special agent in charge, Los Angeles field office. Bill, once again, it is our pleasure and honor to have you aboard today. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure to be here. I tell you, by the way, Bill has his own great platform, Rockin' and Rollin', and I'm going to pitch that right now. It is Truth Nation Podcast. Make sure you use all three words in that, Truth Nation Podcast, and I am a guest on his show there. We're having a lot of fun doing that. Bill, it's just Mark, you are a co-host. You're not a guest. Well. <laughs> you are a co-host. Okay, permanent guest, though, co-host. Yeah, I go. appreciate permanent, that. And a permanent guest is permanent guest yeah but it is it is fun being a part of that and i want people to make sure you check out the truth nation podcast there's no doubt you should be watching that as well i'll tell you what's not fun right now in any stretch of the imagination what's going on in in georgia and i'll say specific to atlanta right now just the recent as we were recording this show in fact we were just watching the video footage from some security cameras of an 11 year old boy being shot by three assailants, criminals is the best word. And we were just analyzing that. It, it's sickening. There's a short blurb on their article. We don't know, again, as we're recording this, we don't know if the 11-year-old has survived the attack or not, but an 11-year-old child running, um, can you imagine the terror in this child's mind as, as he be being shot at and then eventually being shot? But he was transported to hospital. We don't know his condition. We pray for him, pray for his family. Bill, again, we were just watching that before we uh, start recording a second ago. Yeah, what's that, Mark? A fifth grader? A fifth grader. A sixth, Attempted sixth, murder it, yeah. of a fifth grader on the streets, like a running, I don't want to call it a gun battle because it did not. he's not shooting back. He's running for his life. But three armed men 
running down a public street, chasing a fifth grader, shooting at him. That's what things are coming to right now. Yeah, I don't know the race of the of the victim. The assailants, again, as of the reporting of this podcast, are, are not in custody, but they're described as three black males. And uh, look, I hate to say it. It's just, but it's the truth. It's, it's the truth to go to your podcast name. And this is another black on black crime. I mean, shooting at children. I don't know what the relationship was between the victim and these criminals shooting at him. But the idea this is going on in Atlanta is it's sickening to anybody who has a soul. It's absolutely sickening. Beyond that, and related to that, we have a prosecutor, a, a DA in Atlanta, who's in hot water of her own. And at the same time, she is looking at the subject we're going to talk about, quote-unquote, election interference, crime like we just talked about is happening under her nose. Mm-hmm. It's going unprosecuted, it's going unsolved, and quite frankly, in a political sense, it's going unaddressed because it's not, it's not it's the not right high, flavor of the month. Yeah, it's not high profile. It's not going to make the headlines. It's not going to make the headlines. It's disgusting. But it goes to what I think is the character, lack thereof, of this prosecutor. Of course, we're talking about Fanny Willis. Mm-hmm. I know... I hear Fanny, and I'm going to use Fanny Willis for maybe some obvious reasons. But so we all was going on there in in Atlanta, Georgia, in general about this these indictments against the former President Trump, election interference, and we can talk a little bit about that maybe if you want to, Bill, about the history of that. But the Fulton County DA Fanny Willis, who brought these charges, is now really under investigation herself from shenanigans. And we'll get into some details as usual. I know you are too. I'm chock full of articles. There's so much on this. But I just want to start off in general about this, about things she hasn't denied. And that's, listen, that can be very telling. When someone's accused of something in in a public sense, you often learn more about what the truth probably is from what people don't say as much as you do about what they do say. And if someone accuses you of something so outlandish as we're seeing here about her relationship with this prosecutor that she appointed, and you just ignore it, well, that's telling to me. And so we're both in law enforcement for three decades, and we've been around witnesses and suspects, and some of these things are just through repetition. We learn these things, but how people react respond to allegations going back to fanny willis and leading up to her indictment again of donald trump for election interference during the 2020 election this woman actually campaigned this is before she was in office she campaigned on prosecuting donald trump and of course i thought it was completely inappropriate at the time for a hopeful prosecutor elected official to campaign on prosecuting something on evidence that at the time, at least legally, she had no right to even look at. So how would she know that she's going to prosecute somebody for a crime if she hasn't had a chance to review the evidence and make an intelligent decision about it? And, and doesn't that come, Mark, doesn't that come to impartiality or fairness? If you're out there in the public eye and you're promoting the fact or or using the fact that you plan on charging someone with a crime to promote yourself when you don't even know what the evidence is 
is there impartiality there? Can, can anyone really look at it and say that she's an impartial part of our justice system? I don't think anybody who's objective can. No. There's a absolutely not. He put that very well, Bill, the impartiality issue of this. It, there's one thing to say if you're running for DA in a crime-ridden city or we'll go back to the, the crescendo of the American mafia in the, the 70s, early 80s, things like this, and you have people running for office for prosecutors in different cities saying, I'm going to, I'm going to prosecute organized crime. Mm -hmm. Or just even, or even more general, Mark, I'm going to be tough on crime. I'm yeah. going to be tough on yeah. crime. Yeah. And these are general statements about one's philosophy and one's goals, objectives, and strategies to make a particular county or state safer. And that's totally appropriate. But when you say, I'm going to prosecute a certain person and you have not seen any evidence, or I'm going to take over the prosecution, someone's being prosecuted now, they're under indictment, I'm going to continue forward with that, that, that would be, maybe that would be appropriate. But again, without seeing the evidence, how can you make these statements? It clearly shows a personal bias towards a defendant. And, and of course it gets worse than that as we move forward. So everybody knows about the alleged personal relationship with Fannie Willis and again, her alleged boyfriend who was in a private practice, who was appointed by uh, Fannie Willis to prosecute Donald Trump for election interference. With that said, and Anthony back there, you good looking guy, so good looking, we won't put your face on the screen. If you can link to this this entire motion was filed by one of the other 18 defendants in this indictment by that defendant's attorney um it's uh, michael rowan's lawyer he's one of the other 18 defendants in this case who's indicted if you can link to that entire motion to dismiss this case uh i want people to read this entirely for themselves don't worry, I'm not going to read 127 pages, but I did highlight a few, I think, very important parts, just about really four or five short paragraphs that I want to go over. Maybe we can stop us to go through a little bit, Bill, and dissect one a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. But again, this is from the motion to dismiss the indictment. This is filed by Michael Roman's lawyer. This is on January 8th, the Fulton County Superior Court. The important issues raised in the instant motion, now we hear the word instant in here. That just means that the current motion, that's all it means. I had to look that up myself. What the heck does instant mean? But anyway, the important issues raised in the instant motion suggest that the elected district attorney for the largest district attorney's office in the state of Georgia has used the instant prosecution, this prosecution, to pay her partner a large sum of money that was originally allotted to clear the backlog of cases in Fulton County following the COVID pandemic. Bill, I picked that one for a specific reason because it goes to a show you and I recently did about the misappropriation of COVID money. Right. It's like a virus. It's gotten into everything. <laughs> you just can't, you can't make it up. So, yeah, that's another issue. We've discussed that, I think, at so, length. So, so Mark, on the, so am I okay. to understand that they took a chunk of money and they appropriated this money and they said, hey, there's a backlog of cases. The cases, the courtrooms have been closed. There's a backlog of cases. 
We're going to put this money aside for, I don't know if it's for overtime or to contract with outside lawyers to come in who have prosecutorial experience and take on these cases. And then this money was then used for hiring Wade for the Trump investigation. Is that what we're saying here? You put it perfectly. It's exactly right. Now, how this has any bearing, like you said, and again, the attorney put it in there. This was allocated, these funds, for the backlog of cases. Exactly right. This was in a backlog. This indictment came after the COVID pandemic was over, or whatever that means. But it's not a backlog. It was a new case. And, and, and again, if he's right, these are allegations that he's making in here. Yeah. And, and by the way, when you read the entire motion, it is really laid out well. I'm talking about with receipts, with statements. It's done very well. Point two that I pulled from this. Under Georgia law, the district attorney was required to obtain Fulton County's approval prior to appointing the special prosecutor to work on the case. The reason for this requirement is simple. It ensures that the district attorney cannot act, uh, cannot act unilaterally with regard to public monies and is subject to the control and supervision of the governing body, i.e. Fulton County, so that the public has confidence and how the money is used. Undersigned counsel has found no evidence that the district attorney sought or received such approval to appoint the special prosecutor from Fulton County. This is not a mere technicality. It is a requirement of the Georgia Supreme Court has held must be followed when a special prosecutor is appointed and therefore a prerequisite for any special prosecutor's work on a case including the instant case, including this case. She did not follow law as prescribed and ruled upon by the Georgia State Supreme Court, never sought approval. And he said, it's just not a technicality. This is a clear violation of law, Bill, a clear violation of law, in my opinion, and his opinion mm -hmm. too. So let, let's talk about why that piece would be in there and why it's important. There's ethics rules, Mark. There's ethics rules that if you're going, and, and even to go to the qualifications that, that this man has, I don't know if you were planning to speak about that, but it looks like there's a lot of people now questioning his qualifications to even be in this position. So without any review of qualifications, without any, what I would call statutorily required review, this was a decision that she made by herself. And like you said, apparently in violation of statute or in violation of rule or law. Yeah, I would love to see how she's done a little out of this because when you read this entire motion, the introduction mm -hmm. in this filing, the, the lawyer does a fantastic job saying we don't make these allegations lightly mm -hmm. and we don't make these allegations without documented evidence. But when you read it, you can see what that evidence is. I think it's darn near bulletproof. Next point. While the filings in the divorce case, now again, this guy, the boyfriend, alleged boyfriend, is going through a divorce. So while the filings in the divorce case are sealed by court order, the legality of which is open to question, information obtained outside of court rulings indicates that the district attorney and special prosecutor, Wade, have traveled personally together to such places as Napa Valley, Florida. Oh my God, they came to my state. And six 
Caribbean and the special prosecutor have purchased tickets for both of them to travel on both the Norwegian and Royal Caribbean cruise lines. Mm-hmm. I just want to stop right there. It, it boggles the mind to think that someone in her position could be this reckless if the allegation is true that she's having a personal relationship with this guy. And why would they be on a Caribbean, Royal Caribbean ship together, Napa County, Napa Valley, wine tasting? Why would they be there together, the two of them only, unless there's a personal relationship? Again, if these allegations are true, you have to have rocks in your head if you're in a position and you engage in this behavior and you think that it's never going to come out, it's, it, it shows obviously conflict of interest, illegality, but as important in a case like this, Bill, in my opinion, the judgment of somebody yeah, to, absolutely. to engage in this behavior, the recklessness of somebody to engage in this behavior. If the allegations are true, I keep putting that caveat there and they're true. We all know it's true, but I say, if it's true. So to continue, traveling together to such places as Washington, D.C. or New York City might make sense for work purposes in light of other pending litigation. But what work purpose could only be served by travel to the traditional vacation destinations? Yeah. Exactly. I got ahead of myself there. Cruise lines you- and Napa? Mark, that sounds like a kickback. That's what it sounds like. That sounds like a kickback where you're... And- it sounds like you're paying someone and then you're hiring, you're contracting with someone to fill a position and you're paying that person. And then you're benefiting, you're personally benefiting from that contract. That's called a kickback. You, you cannot do that. And it goes beyond ethics. It goes to legality. It absolutely does. Bill, you and I both come in from government work. We knew in our positions how improper these types of things work. I remember getting invited to functions or things like this. And it's like, well, I, and you can go, you can take part of them, but you, if you're getting a, a free meal, obviously there are all kinds of guidelines, but there are thresholds of dollar amount and frequency mm-hmm. and totality at the end of the year, all these things. And you have to report them if you go. Mm-hmm. And I did a couple of times. And, uh, but these are minor things. So Mark, he, he, here's what's now, again, you're saying if this is true, the mm-hmm. reporting I read has since said that these credit card receipts have come out. And yeah, it, it appears that it is true. I don't know, but it appears that it is true. Yeah, you cannot benefit. So it, what it is, it's a gift from a contractor. And mm-hmm. you, you saw the dollar amounts in there. I mean, if you're talking a cruise, you're talking uh, the hotel up in Northern California was a double tree hotel. I think the total hotel charges were eight or $900 or yeah. something. It was close uh, to 400 the, bucks a night. Yeah, the yep. cruise line was a couple thousand dollars. Um, this is a gift from a contractor that, that she arranged business is for business for. And in my role, I can tell you that if a contract company wanted to give me a t-shirt, I should probably call the ethics officer. There's a full-time lawyer at my old agency and you would call them up and say, Hey, here's the company. Here's the business they do for us. Here's the gift that they offer me. And he would say, what's the, listen to this, Mark. One time, a dignitary from Qatar, a general from Qatar visited the United States and he visited our Los Angeles office, right? 
he ran all counter drug operations for Qatar. Very giving people. Uh, obviously, it's a wealthy country. He presented me with an expensive watch, Mark. Obviously, I knew this is an issue. So I called our ethics officer. First thing he says is, "Give it, don't accept it. Give it back. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. You can't do that because it's just not, it just looks bad. It's detrimental to the relationship. I said, hey, I can't do that. What are the other relationships? Well, you're going to have to get an appraisal, a fair market appraisal for that watch, and you are going to have to pay for it. So Mark, the GSA, government, I'm sorry, General Services Administration, they went out and got an appraisal for this watch, this gift that was given to me, and they sent me a bill, and you know what I did? I wrote a check because it was important to me to keep it because it was given to me by someone who I appreciated the partnership, the relationship with. But I can't just accept that, as she can't just accept that. I had to actually dig into my pocket and write a check for the value of that gift. That's the way it's supposed to be done, Mark. That's exactly right, Bill. I, it, it's exactly right. And I want people listening to, to understand people who are in government appreciate the impact of this type of behavior, appreciate the obvious conflict of interest and disregard for policy procedures and ethics. And to sum up, again, I just took up the one of the last things that the lawyer said in this filing, the meaning of all this is simple. Willis violated her own county's ethical standards and created an impermissible conflict of interest when she contracted with Wade, knowing full well she had a personal and financial interest mm -hmm. in the appointment, yep. particularly since she never disclosed her relationship with Wade to Fulton County and never obtained Fulton County's approval prior to appointing him. Two this things is, on that. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Two things on that. I was a hiring official for Department of Justice for DEA. Anytime I recommended the hiring of someone, I had to make a statement as to a signed statement as to any personal relationship I had with them or as to any personal, my knowledge of any personal relationship that anybody in the whole department had with them because that stuff has to be disclosed. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to necessarily prevent the hiring, but it has to be disclosed to avoid uh, the perception of impropriety. The second thing is the state bar of Georgia has something called an aspirational code, Mark. Here's what that code says. To preserve the dignity and the integrity of our profession by my conduct. The dignity and integrity of our profession is an inheritance that must be maintained by each successive generation of lawyers. Did she do that? No, absolutely mm -hmm. not. And the question mark goes even deeper than on the surface, it's she hired someone who she was apparently involved in a relationship with. She financially benefited from this person that she was in a relationship with and whom she hired. The question mark, and I have my thoughts on it, I'll be happy to share, was he qualified or maybe not making that distinction because the reality is I probably wasn't qualified for the first job I got, but I made it work. But what were his qualifications to be hired and put into this position in the first place? And the let's put it like this. As we look at his qualifications and we review them, if we question his qualifications,
qualifications, then it seems more likely that this was an improper assignment of a contract based on this personal relationship and potential financial gain. So his qualifications, ladies and gentlemen, need to be looked at very closely because that will be a telling piece of evidence on whether this was all about just financial gain on her part and a, and a personal relationship on her part. Well, Bill, you can expand on that as much as you want to. You said you yeah. have your thoughts on it. Yeah, I have my thoughts. They're probably they're probably pretty much in line, but you're absolutely right. I want people to think about this. It doesn't matter if you love Trump, if you hate Trump, if you think that he committed election interference, if you think that he didn't, those things are ancillary to the core here. Let's say that, let's say you're a person that, that you think Trump violated every state law in Georgia when it comes to election interference. Let's just say dead to rights, he's guilty, so forth and so on. Wouldn't you want the most qualified special prosecutor in the universe to go after this guy? Wouldn't you want the person who has a long history of RICO prosecutions, a long history of putting people in prison for cons con conspiracies? Wouldn't you want a person with a pedigree of felony convictions? Wouldn't you want somebody who has a proven track record of prosecuting the most serious and impactful crimes? Wouldn't you want that? Or would you want the guy? who apparently, according to every document I've seen, article that I've seen, has never prosecuted anything above a misdemeanor. Is yeah. that the guy you want prosecuting, the person you think committed this heinous crime? It goes to the bias, the apparent bias, and the apparent complete lack of judgment on the part of Fannie Willis even if there were no personal relationship, even if there were no allegation of financial kickback, throw all that out. Yeah. Wouldn't you ask yourself, why did she appoint this guy? That shows how stupid or biased this woman is. She should not be in this position for a litany of reasons. That by itself, if again, if you are in the belief that Donald Trump committed this heinous crime, you should not yeah. want her in this position just for the fact that she can't even point to put the right people to prosecute him. Mark, New York Times, January 10th, 2024. They document some of the previous work Mr. Wade did, according to that article. In the late 90s, he was employed for about a year by the Cobb County Solicitor's Office, where he prosecuted misdemeanors and traffic citations. As an associate judge... In Marietta, he presided over cases dealing with misdemeanors, traffic tickets, and city ordinance violations. He unsuccessfully ran for Cobb County Superior Court judge in 2020. Now, here's a, here's a fascinating one, Mark. In 2020, he was chosen by the sheriff in Cobb County to investigate deaths in jail. Have you heard about this? No, I have not. Okay. In June of that year, he was quoted in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The, the, the newspaper of record in Atlanta, saying that he planned to issue a report about con conditions at the jail. The quote from him was, if we find it, we will report it. It'll be written up. 
In October 2020, he said during a court hearing that he spent five months reviewing debts at the jail and interviewing deputies, but had not kept any written notes, according to 11 Alive, the NBC affiliate in Atlanta. Now, when I'm going to use the word braced, when braced on this or questions about this, his response was, and I quote, I have obviously my brainchild. What's going on in my head about it? That's what I have. That's what we're, that's what we got here, Mark. My, my video didn't freeze. I was just no. stunned by that no, statement. Yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't move yeah. for about five seconds. Yeah. See, this is, and by the way, I have so much here and we can yeah. talk about it, but I, I it, it, but like I said, Mark, this the, is the issue. The, the issue no, this is, is the that, issue. But yeah, when you, you see, you, go ahead. You bring up a great point with Wade because we're, we are focusing on Fanny, Fonny, Willis here, and we should be because she's the person to appoint this guy. And we can talk about the White House visits. Uh, we they're documented now. We know that that they visited White House Counsel, which should never. So that, again, this team prosecuting Trump out of Georgia. We have records that he visited the White House. We have the receipt for his travels to the White House. It's, it's not deniable. It's right there. And by the way, they're not denying it again, which is a telltale sign. Mm -hmm. But White House counsel should never, ever have anything to do with a criminal prosecution, especially one that has political impl implications for the commander-in-chief, Joe Biden. You talk about conflict of interest. But here we had Fulton County prosecutors or the special prosecutor appointed by Fannie Willis that team going to the White House at least a couple of times, maybe other meetings. Talk about that all by itself, about how inappropriate and probably legal, possibly legal that is. But you start talking about his qualifications, Bill. We both did, and you got deep in the weeds about it. I want to focus a little bit here, the time we have remaining, about Wade himself. So you got Fannie Willis, Fannie Willis, whatever her mm -hmm. name is, appointing this guy, mm -hmm. probably for personal reasons and financial reasons, claimed by these defendant's lawyers. But this is a filing I want to talk about. This is from Major Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a representative from Georgia, and she has filed some motions here, ethics complaints mm -hmm. about Wade. So in a Thursday, now this is just recently, in a Thursday filing with the Georgia Ethics Commission, the Republican lawmaker, again, Greene, accused Wade of a slew of mis misdeeds, including failing to file lobbyist paperwork over his solicitation, this is quote unquote, of Willis and his quote, excessive gifts, unquote, Bill, going back to what you said about receiving gifts as a government official, to the DA and violating the Georgia Campaign Finance Act. Earlier this month, Green reportedly filed a misconduct complaint against Willis, claiming that her alleged affair with Wade was an obviously illegal conflict of interest. Fulton County DA Fannie Willis stands credibly accused of using Fulton County and federal COVID funds, here we go again, hmm. to pay her unqualified secret boyfriend, Nathan Wade, who has never tried, who has never tried a felony case, $250 an hour to collude with the Biden White House counsel and help Fannie Willis bring unprecedented RICO felony charges against President Trump and 18 co-defendants. So now she's claiming, Green, that he violated lobbyist laws by soliciting Fannie Willis mm -hmm. uh, while she's the DA, which in turn resulted in him being appointed pro a prosecutor. Mm -hmm. So 
we, we not only have uh, the, the alleged violations against Willis, but we have them specifically against Green, at least in, in these filings. This is this stinks to high heaven of corruption on both ends. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why they ended up being, pardon the pun, <clears throat> bedfellows. But mm. this is what we have. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give you one more short paragraph here. Green, however, believes that Wade should also be held accountable. I skipped over some of the article. Green, however, believes that Wade should be also held accountable for allegedly failing to follow the state laws about li- lobbyists. In her complaint, Green says that Wade's law firm is a state vendor under the Georgia Campaign Finance Act and that, therefore, he needs to report any lobbying activities. This gets deep in the weeds. I think that these two have opened a can of worms are going to be sorry that ever. Mark, have you heard about the invoices that he submitted? Yes, the travel? Yeah, no, the, so there's a guy named Stephen Geilers. He's a legal expert at NYU. And I guess he reviewed the invoices that uh, Wade submitted for payment to the DA's office for work he had done. Here's what he said. He said he's concerned by the vagueness of the invoices Wade submitted and that they were approved by the Fulton County District Attorney's Office. They would not pass muster at most government agencies or corporations. Uh, Gillers or Geilers noted some of the specific red flags. They are in whole numbers, eight hours, six hours, seven hours. They don't break down particular tasks that were accomplished. And he said those are red flags in this area. Well, I think that you and I both know about travel claim forms, reimbursements, Bill. And again, boy, you talk about scrutiny. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. And no, I was just going to say, but this is for the legal work that he's doing. Correct. These are built, yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. No, is, what I was going to say is just on our, our daily oh, yeah. or recurring travel, oh, you got to fly to D.C., you got to fly to Sacramento on my case and your hotel room, things like that. And you fill it out and thank God for my staff I had because I would have pulled out what little hair I had trying to fill those things out to, to the. So that's just on pre-approved, legitimate, clear within policy, but you still have to do these things meticulously. Juxtaposed to what you just read there, talking about Mm -hmm. how general and undefined these Mm -hmm. types of claims for reimbursements were, it goes to show, it goes to the arrogance bill and the assuredness that, you know what, no one's looking at this, who cares? We, we'll get this thing all figured out together. I'm take care of this person. They're taking care of me, so forth and so on. If 20% of these allegations are true, 5%, this is a, is a done deal. You, I stepped on you. Go ahead. Mark, and like, listen, I, there's so much here. Like you said, don't forget, she also hosted a political fundraiser yeah. for Charlie Bailey. Now, Bailey was the Democrat the Democratic opponent to Burt Jones, who was under investigation. Yes. Like, like, how do you think that's, that's just, that's blatant, right? You're holding a fundraiser for the opponent of someone that you are investigating and trying to put a criminal RICO charge on. The judge, Robert McBurney, he actually disqualified the DA's office from, and I think it was with prejudice. And I, I could be wrong about that, meaning that they can never file a case against him with these the charges they were looking at. Uh, for, they can't handle any part of a case against Jones. 
The judge called it a, quote, what are you thinking, unquote, moment. There you go. There you go. What yeah. are you thinking? And this is what sums up we're seeing. What are you thinking, lady? What are you thinking to engage? Just the appearance of what we know it was, is enough to put the brakes on any other prosecution we can think of. Uh -huh. just, just the appearance of it. And by the way, we know coming from our respective lines of work that often that is a decision maker. You know what? That's not going to look good. It doesn't matter if we did everything right or whatever. Optics. It's not going to look good. It's not going to garner public trust. We want to make sure that people don't have any reason to doubt what we're doing is ethical and by the books. And we, we all get it sometimes. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's frustrating. But we understand the importance of appearances and, do, and doing the right thing as best we can every single time. Let me wind up with this because I have to go back to this because mm -hmm. everybody... Often, this is where things wind up. In other words, when you don't have a case to make to defend yourself, we don't have anything else to rely on. Unfortunately, what do we see so often? People go out and they play the race card. They yeah, play the I, race card. They play the I race saw, card. They play the I race saw card. That same quote. Yeah. It's disgusting. I know you did, Bill. I'm sure you did. So we know that it's recently that Fanny, Fawny, whatever her first name is, how it's pronounced, went to the big Bethel Amy Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And this is right before Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, the holiday. She called herself, and again, this is in front of the entire congregation. She's there in the pulpit. She called herself flawed and imperfect. That's a quote. During an emotional speech, adding that she had faith death threats and experienced loneliness. Don't get me started. She suggested there was a racial motivation behind the attacks on her. Quote, they only attack one. I hired one white woman, a good personal friend and great lawyer, a superstar, I tell you. I hired one white man, brilliant, my friend and a great lawyer. And I hired one black man, another superstar, a great friend and a great lawyer. Well, you know what, Fanny, Fanny, maybe it's because you weren't humping either of those two other friends at least allegedly, maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe it had something to do that you traveled, just the two of you, allegedly, to Napa and took cruises together. Maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe, just maybe, people were looking at your behavior and not your race. Maybe. I know it's a very slight chance, but that might be the reason that you were under scrutiny. Not because of your pigmentation, but because of your behavior, the decisions you made, and your poor judgment. So why don't you chew on that for a while and stop doing the race card around like it means absolutely nothing. By the way, especially when you're honoring Martin Luther King, who said, content of character, not color of skin. What a disrespectful thing to say when you're supposed to be honoring this great man. Bill, I'm going to give you the last word because I think I used all mine up. No, Mark, I can't top that. I can't top that. I saw the quote. The quote I saw from her was, you did not tell me as a woman of color, it would not matter what I did. My motive, my talent, my ability, and my character would be constantly attacked. No, check your behavior, miss. Well said, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen.
God bless you. Thanks for listening. Check out Bill's podcast, Truth Nation podcast. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Don't forget to support uh, the Leo Project. You can find that online. Don't know what you can, and we will see you next time.